Hi, thanks for joining us on Him We Proclaim with our Bible teacher, Dr. John Fonville. We are continuing the series called The Glorious Second Coming of Jesus Christ. John has entitled the next several messages, The Peace of the Church. Is Jesus interested in there being peace in his church? Absolutely. And what disrupts that peace is tolerating sin, false teachers, and their false doctrine. It's upsetting to believers and disruptive to the gospel going forth. One could say it's an age-old problem. The teaching today will give us a good foundation about this important topic to believers. Here's John with the Peace of the Church, Part 3. If you have your Bibles, you can take it and turn to 2 Thessalonians, and we're going to continue in chapter 3 and finish up this letter. Let's, um, before we just look at it, let's just read the, the, the passage together. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 15. This is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly or disorderly life, and not according to the tradition which you received from us. He says in verse 7, he says, For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example, because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor and hardship. We kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have the right to this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. Yet, do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Uh, Each week as we observe Holy Communion, we are powerfully reminded how much God values peace in his church. Uh, Holy Communion is a supreme visible sign of the church's unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so when we commune together as one body, united at the Lord's table, uh, we always pass the peace to each other. Passing the peace is a tradition that is rooted in Scripture, um, and this act embodies our identity as peacemakers. This corporate act in worship reminds us that reconciliation with God and reconciliation with one another is inseparably united. This is what one author says about that. He says, passing the peace is our enactment of the reconciling love and forgiveness of God through Christ. He says, we are literally touching one another, holding and shaking hands in humility and in forgiveness and in repentance. God's peace is being shared freely among his people. And so this liturgical practice, this act in worship, teaches us the way of peace. And it reminds us, as Paul says in Ephesians, that we are to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. 
As we come to uh, Paul's letter in 2 Thessalonians, Paul is teaching us a very important lesson about the church, and he is teaching us that Christ, as Lord of his church, demands peace in his church. He demands it. He demands it because we see that the Apostle Paul is giving here commands. Hopefully you heard that repeatedly in this passage of Scripture. Paul repeatedly says, we command, we exhort, we urge. Christ demands peace in his church. This is what we learn from this closing section in Paul's letter to the, uh, his second letter to the Thessalonians. The, the main point of this whole closing section is the peace of the church. But tragically, some of the Thessalonian believers were living disorderly lives. They were being very insubordinate. They weren't teachable. And because of this, they were disrupting the peace of the church. Apparently, because of false teachers who had come in, and you'll see this in a minute, had influenced some of these believers, some of the believers were unwilling to follow Paul and the leadership of the Thessalonian church. And Paul says that their insubordination was disrupting the peace of the church. Back in his first letter in chapter 5, verses 12 through 14, Paul has already addressed this matter of insubordinate people in the church who will not listen and obey the teaching of the church. Listen to what he says to them. He says, but we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and that give you instruction. He says, we request that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. And then he says, live in peace with one another. There's a direct correlation between submitting to the leadership and the teaching of the church and living in peace with one another. He says, we urge you, brethren, and then he says it, admonish the disorderly, admonish the insubordinate. And so tragically, this insubordination, this disorderly behavior through beliefs and conduct had escalated in the church and they had refused to listen to Paul in his first letter. And so the problem had begun to get worse in the church, and because the peace of the church is of vital importance, discipline of those living in subordinate disorderly lives in the church was necessary. And so when you come to chapter 3, verses 6 through 15, what Paul does is that he issues three sets of commands to the church to preserve the peace of the church. And what we're going to see in these commands is that we see the authority of Paul. We see the authority of Paul as an apostle commanding his church. And so he sets forth these disciplinary measures that are to be taken by the whole church toward the disorderly who have refused to follow his former commands to them back in his first letter. So that gives you the whole context of what is happening, so we'll look at it some more, but let's look at this first command that Paul gives. This is in verses 6 through 10. The first command that he gives to preserve the peace in the church is this. He commands the orderly in the church, those who are being faithful in the church, to keep away from disorderly believers. 
That's his first command. Paul begins by addressing those in the Thessalonian church who are behaving and believing in an orderly fashion. Look at verse 6 and look what he says. He begins with this very authoritative tone. He says, but we command you. That's a very, very authoritative tone. We command you, look what he says, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When he adds this phrase, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, he is highlighting the divine origin and authority of his command. Paul is saying that his command to the church is backed up by the authority of Jesus himself. What he's saying is, is that to disobey this command is to disobey the Lord. He says, we command you. This is how one scholar puts it. He says, Paul is in a very determined mood. I would say so. We command you, right? He says, his language has a military feel to it as though he were a drill sergeant on the parade ground. He issues commands and he requires obedience and he refers to a certain element in the church at Thessalonica that is disorderly or insubordinate. This word refers to soldiers who are out of step, to soldiers who are being insubordinate, to soldiers who were rebellious and they were not open to discipline. And so what Paul does is he goes on to spell out the specifics of his command. Look what he says in verse 6. With the authority of Christ, he says, he commands those who are behaving orderly, look, to withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. This command to withdraw, to keep away, what it has is the idea of be very careful to not be influenced by disorderly beliefs and behavior. That's what Paul's concerned about. Paul's concerned that faithful believers in the church, orderly believers in the church, are not going to be negatively influenced by a rotten apple. That's what he's saying. He's saying be very careful not to be influenced by disorderly brothers who are walking in insubordination to the church. He says, because this disorderly behavior and beliefs of some set forth a negative influence and it disrupts the peace of the church. So to preserve the peace of the church, to protect orderly, faithful believers from being negatively influenced by some who are being disorderly, Paul says, I command you, keep away from them. Keep away from the brother who is walking in a disorderly fashion, who is not walking according to the tradition which you received from us. So the, as we looked at last week, this translation in some, uh, uh, some scriptures like the NIV or the ESV, they, they translate idol or idleness, but that's really... That's not the, the intent here. Paul is not really correcting the problem of laziness. He's correcting the problem of disorderliness. This, this word, keep away from brothers who walk in an unruly life, who, who are disorderly in the church, disrupting the peace of the church. This word comes from the military 
Um, and it comes from military speech that refers to people who are insubordinate and have disorderly conduct. And so Paul says it's not that some of the believers were just being idle. He says these believers were out of order because he had given them previous, quote, marching orders, this tradition which they were refusing to follow. So this, what, are the, what is the tradition, verse 6? These marching orders, the tradition is simply the teaching that he had previously given to them when he wrote his first letter, which I read to you in 1 Thessalonians 5. But they're refusing still to follow Paul's teaching. They're, they're, they are not doing what they ought to do, which is legitimate work, stop spreading false doctrine, stop being influenced by a negative teacher, all these things. And instead, they are doing what they ought not to do. So the presenting issue was idleness on the surface, but underlying this unwillingness to engage in legitimate work to benefit their neighbors, underlying this was their, their being influenced by false teachers and this negative effect that this false teaching was having on the church, that was disrupting the peace of the church. So this false teaching concerning the second coming of Christ, which is the hope of the gospel. These false teachers were distorting the very hope that we have given to us in the gospel. Now, let me just give you a couple of examples. This, this problem of distorting the hope of the gospel uh, was a problem in many of the churches that Paul planted in the first century. Uh, he ran into this problem in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says that there are some false teachers in Corinth that were denying that there was to be a final physical resurrection. They were teaching the Corinthian believers that spiritual resurrection from the dead is the only resurrection that there would be. And because of this false teaching about the hope of the gospel, some of the Corinthian believers believed that, well, I guess there's no final coming of Christ. And so he had to write 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the largest chapter in the Bible given to the doctrine of resurrection, to dispel these false notions about the hope of the gospel and to help bring order and peace back into the disorder of the Corinthian church. We see this problem in Ephesus. Paul planted churches in Ephesus, and in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 17 through 18, Paul identifies two false teachers that were distorting the hope of the gospel. He writes to Timothy in verse 17, and he says, Timothy, their talk, their false teaching in the church, he said it will spread like gangrene. And he says, among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. These are men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place. And because of this, they upset the faith of some. Paul also read into this problem of this over-realized eschatology in Asia Minor. Or excuse me, Peter. In, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 to 13, Peter addresses a similar problem about the denial of the second coming of Christ that is negatively affecting the churches in Asia Minor. And then we come to here in the churches in Thessalonica. And yet once again, Paul is encountering this, these false teachers 
who are giving false teaching about the second coming of Christ. And so in chapter 2, verse 2, he says, because of this, uh, some of the believers have become shaken and alarmed in their faith, these negative effects. They were fearful. But here in chapter 3, he says that because of this false teaching, some had not only become shaken and alarmed, but some had actually become disorderly. They had become insubordinate. They had begun to follow the influence, the negative influence of these false teachers. And look at verse 11. He says in verse 11, he says, For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. It's a play on words, as I showed you last week, that, that highlights this disorderly living. Paul says that they're not busy doing legitimate work, but they're busy bodies. They were, these believers were very busy in the church. But the work they were doing was not legitimate. They were busybodies. They were meddling in the affairs of others in the church. And what they were doing is, is that because of false teachers who were teaching these believers about Christ's second coming that had already happened and they missed it, some of the Thessalonians said, well, then why work? Let's just give up our day jobs and we'll go around with these false teachers and busily spread this false teaching that we've received about Christ's second coming. And so while busily engaged in spreading this false teaching, they were asking the members of the church, support us. Support our false teaching. Um, in some languages, uh, one speaks of a busybody as, quote, one who puts his spoon in someone else's cup. What these Thessalonian believers were doing was they were uh, putting literally their spoons in other people's cups, asking to be supported for their new teaching ministry in the church. And so what they were doing is they were now interfering with the business that properly belonged to the officers of the church, both Paul and the leadership in Thessalonica, both in teaching and administering finances. And so they began to disrupt the peace of the church through all of this mess. And Paul says, I command you, stay away from these brothers so that you are not negatively influenced by them. And then look at verses 7 through 10. He gives two reasons for why these uh, orderly believers are to be careful not to be influenced by those who are disorderly. Look at verses 7 through 9. The first reason, he says, that faithful believers are to avoid being in negatively influenced by the beliefs and behavior of disorderly believers is because they have an apostolic example. Look at verses 7 through 9. He says, For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example, because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you. He says, Nor did we, we refers to Silas and Timothy as two his co-workers. He says, Look, we didn't eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have the right to this. Not that we don't have the right to be paid for preaching the gospel to you, because we do. He says, but we gave up this right to be paid for teaching you sound doctrine 
He says, in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. And so the first reason why orderly believers are to keep away from those who are disorderly is because of the apostolic example that was set before them. Paul and his co-workers, Silas and Timothy, modeled the tradition, the teaching that they taught them. Back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 through 10, uh, Paul had already reminded them of this the first time he wrote. Listen to what he says. He says, For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God and your witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers. And so Paul offers himself yet once again to these believers and the reason is clear. He doesn't want the bad example of a disorderly believer in the church to have a negative effect on those who are being faithful. What would be the negative effect? It would lead them from the purity of the gospel. It would lead them from the hope of the gospel. It would distort the gospel. That's a negative effect. What would it do? It would disrupt the peace of the church. What would it do? It would create more busybodies in the church. You've probably heard the proverb, one bad apple spoils the barrel, right? That proverb is often used to describe a person who is a bad influence, and because of their negative beliefs, negative behavior, it affects the whole group of people, and it can introduce and influence similar negative attitudes and beliefs on the group of people. That's what Paul's concerned about here. That's why he is setting forth his example, Silas and Timothy's example, saying we set forth a positive model for you to follow, to be influenced by how we conducted ourselves. And so this, if left unchecked, such is the chaos of false teaching in the church. But Paul says the opposite, that the imitation of godly examples makes for peace in the church. The second reason Paul says here that orderly believers are to keep away from those who are disorderly is because of apostolic teaching. Not only the apostolic example, verses 7 through 9, but look at verse 10. You have apostolic teaching. Listen to what Paul says in verse 10. He says... For even when we were with you, we, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. Some of the Thessalonian believers were out of order because they refused to live according to the teaching, the tradition that they had received from Paul. And Paul reminds them of the tradition here, the teaching that he first gave them. He says, if anyone is not willing to work, then he's not to eat either. Paul's command is, has a ring of a proverb. Most scholars generally think that this probably comes from Genesis chapter 3, verse 19. This is what it says. It says, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. So what is Paul saying to the church here? The point is this, is that God's created order even after the fall, 
requires that all people engage in legitimate work to feed and support themselves so as to not burden other people. But when you apply this proverb to the problem of the disorderly people in the Thessalonian church, this is what Paul is saying when he says, if anyone is not willing to work, then he's not to eat either. This is what he was saying to this problem. Quit supporting those who refuse to engage in legitimate work. Simply put, stop funding false teachers and false gospels in the church. Don't support busybodies who meddle in the affairs of others, who spread false teaching and ask to be supported for it. Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? He says this disorderly teaching and behavior disrupts the peace of the church. Thanks, John. The message you just heard is called The Peace of the Church from the series called The Glorious Second Coming of Jesus Christ. More from this series coming up next time. The mission of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. And it's our prayer that your heart will be filled with joy and a clear understanding of the gospel and God's word. If you want to hear a past broadcast, check out our podcast in iTunes or download our app. Just search for Dr. John Fonville in iTunes or Google Play. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to visit Pastor John's church in Jacksonville, Florida, you're always welcome. You can find out more at ParamountChurch.com. I'm Josh Montez. Thanks for listening and join us next time.